Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Irvindale. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Christ Jesus. Join Pastor Mike as he teaches through the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius, that's the only way I know how to pronounce it, governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to a city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. You know, as I mentioned in my prayer, if you've been around church very long, you're well acquainted with this passage that I just read. Um, It gets read, it gets taught, it gets preached almost every December. And because we're so familiar with it, it's um, possible that for us, familiarity may breed contempt. What I mean to say by that is simply this, that we may come to the place where we think we know so much about a passage that we take it very lightly and just let it kind of go in one ear and out the other and give it very little consideration because we've heard it, we've heard it, we've heard it, we've heard it, we've heard it. Even uh, Linus, you know, on, on Charlie Brown has read it to us year after year, at least since I was a child, right? And we've heard it. But I would encourage us not to do that. I would encourage us not to do that because... Uh, This text is an important one. Theologically, it's important prophetically. It's important practically. All according to the reason that Luke gave it to us in the beginning. And I want us to think today a little bit from a practical point of view. And I want us to remember again why Luke wrote this gospel. Remember that he wanted to provide for Theophilus a well-researched, documented account of what God had done to enter time and space with his redemptive plan. And as we've discovered throughout the fall, from the very beginning of his gospel, Luke has been providing us with details. Details because he wanted Theophilus to have confidence that what he had been taught by Jesus was not fairy tale myth, but that it was really rooted in real-time facts. That these things that have become known about Jesus are not just a a fanciful story that that men are spinning, but are fact-based of what God's activities in the affairs of men have been all about and what he's been doing to bring about a plan that he devised before the foundation of the world to bring it into our time. And so as we cross over into chapter 2, we find that nothing changes. He continues with the details. In fact, he gives us details about world and local leaders. And that's where I want to start today is that with these details. The birth of the Messiah, listen to me carefully, does not dangle out there on once upon a time. That's the way we start fairy tales. The birth of Jesus is firmly fixed at a specific time, a time when Caesar Augustus ruled the world. Now, perhaps if you uh, haven't looked into it, you're not aware that Caesar Augustus is not a name. It's a title. The word Caesar means emperor, and the word Augustus means revered, Honored or esteemed. So when that name comes up, Caesar Augustus, if you were reading it according to its actual meaning, you would be reading when emperor esteemed. Now the people of the day would have known which emperor and how esteemed. 
But Caesar Augustus is not the actual name. The man behind the title, which fixes it in history for us, was Gaius Octavius. Gaius Octavius. He was born September the 23rd, 63 B.C. He was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar. Most of us have heard of him. Who during his reign adopted Octavius, making him his heir. History tells us that eventually Julius was assassinated. And after his assassination, Octavius worked the political ranks and also used a certain amount of just brute force to work his way to the throne, and he became supreme emperor of the Roman Empire. History tells us, again, I'm I'm trying to give you detail here, history tells us that uh, Octavian ruled from around 31 B.C. until his death in 14 A.D., So based upon Luke's statement, and the reason that Luke puts this in there is because he wants us to know simply this, that the birth of the Messiah took place somewhere in that 45-year period. He's taken all of history, and he's brought it down to that place, this block of time, 45 years. He was born while Caesar Augustus, Octavius, was emperor over Rome on a regional level. Luke identifies another leader, Quirinius, who governed Syria, one of the provinces of the Roman Empire. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his right his name correctly, but Publius Sulpicius Quirinius. You go back into history and you find that he uh, he served as governor of Syria. Now, our English translations use that word governor and uh, to describe his position, but that really might not be the best term because. For us, governor is a very specific term for a very specific office. And history tells us that Quirinius was, in fact, that kind of governor, but he wasn't that kind of governor in Syria until A.D. 6 through 9. And by every report that we have, that is beyond the date fixed for the birth of Jesus. But the term that Luke employs here in this passage is really a non-technical term. A term that simply speaks of great authority in the government and does not demand governorship as we think of governorship. And as we continue to look into history, we find that Syria, in that day and time, always had two high-ranking officials. One was military, one was civilian. And they both governed over Syria according to their um, responsibilities. What we find is that Quirinius, before he became governor of the civilian aspect of it, as we generally think of, like Kim Reynolds as the governor of Iowa, he actually served in that military governorship earlier, at an earlier date. And again, when you're going back in history, sometimes the dates aren't always firmly fixed. And so what we find there is that we have a period between 8 B.C. and 6 A.D., a period of 14 years in which that governorship would have taken place. And so I bring all of that to simply say this, that Luke tells us that Jesus was born at this time in history, when Caesar Augustus was emperor. That's a 45-year period, but then it gets funneled down to a time when Quirinius was governing Syria during that time of governorship or ruling of, uh, of, of the Caesar, and gives us a 14-year period there. Further evidence probably can narrow that down if we were to go into other passages of Scripture and other aspects of history, which would take us a long time and a lot of rabbit trails, can narrow that down to place Jesus' birth no earlier than 6 B.C., no later than 2 A.D. Most scholars seem to fall around the date of 4 B.C. 
Now, whatever God's reason was to choose not to have Luke record a specific date, but instead give us a general placement in time, I don't know. If God wanted to give us the year, he could have done it. Instead, he chose to place the birth of his son in a general placement. This is who was ruling the Roman Empire. This is who was governing Syria. And it was at this time, this time of, of, of space, that Jesus came into the world. Octavian was emperor and Quirinius was military governor of Syria. Well, that brings us, we're talking about dates, that brings us then to December 25th. And we want to ask the question, then, what about that? At least we know that Jesus was born on that specific date, right? I mean, despite the fact that we don't know exactly what year it was, it's not recorded, uh, you know, with, with an absolute stamp on it. At least we know that that's correct, right? No, not exactly. In fact, let me just tell you this. We know actually without a doubt that Jesus was not born on the date we know of as December 25th. And if that ruins your Christmas, I'm sorry. But that's truth. And truth is more important than our sentiment. The truth is, that date, we ask the question, how do we come to that date? That date was a chosen date. It was chosen to celebrate the birth. But there was never, there's never been any actual legitimate claim that he was born on the 25th. In fact, there are many dates that have been put out there as scholars have tried to figure it out. And here are some of them. I put them in your note guide. January the 2nd or the 6th. March the 21st or the 25th. April the 18th, I happen to like that because that's my birthday. And so I will put the stamp on it and say Jesus was born on April the 18th. So was I. That makes us kindred spirits. The 18th or the 19th, May the 20th or the 28th, November the 17th or the 20th. One contemporary theologian, and I would encourage you to look this fellow up. He's got a lot of interesting things to put out there. Dr. Michael Heiser, still living, still active, still writing, still producing, using both Old Testament prophecy, text from Revelation, and astrological charts believes that the date, he has set the date at September the 11th. That's interesting. And before you groan and say, oh, you know, I've heard his presentation. Now, it takes a lot of effort to get through it. I mean, really it does. But I will tell you this, that it's not without merit as I listen to it. I'll come back to that September date in a few minutes. But you ask, how did we get December 25th? I wanted to make sure we understand some of this, so here we go. There was a claim that was made out there early on in the early church that Mary actually conceived Jesus on March 25th. Well, you add nine months to that, and what do you get? You get December 25th. But there's not one shred of biblical or historical evidence that that's the case. So where that actually came from, I have no idea. But that is out there, and uh, some people look to it. The best answer that I can give you this morning, how did we get with the December 25th date? is one that is recorded and rooted in history. And that, these are the points. What we find as we look at the early church is that for the first 300 years of its existence, it did not celebrate the birth of Jesus. Can you imagine that? The earliest saints, the ones that were closest to Jesus himself, the ones that were won to faith by the apostles and, and, and trained by them, they did not celebrate the birth of, of Jesus. In fact, they focused more on his crucifixion. They focused more on the resurrection. That's where their heart was. That's where the message was. They really didn't have a holiday. In fact, it wasn't until 336 AD, while Constantine was emperor of Rome, that Christmas is first recorded as being celebrated. 
the birth date, I should say, of Jesus being celebrated. A few years later, history tells us that Pope Julius I declared December 25th to be the official celebration day of the birth of Christ. He did not declare it was the birth date. It's just the official celebration date for the church. And we may ask ourselves the question, well, why did he do that? Why did he declare that? Why did he feel the necessity to make an official celebration date? Well, again, we don't know for sure, but it is believed that he did this to provide a Christian alternative to quite a few pagan celebrations that were taking place uh, at the December time frame of the calendar, not the least of which was the celebration called Saturnella, which celebrated the birth date, so to speak, of the pagan god Saturn. And there was quite revelry and a lot of celebration and drinking and so forth that went on from December the 17th to the 23rd. There was also the birthday of the pagan sun god Mithra, which actually did take place on December the 25th, the date that the Romans believed to be the winter solstice. And when you think back to what that pope's thoughts were and what the church's thoughts were at the time, it seems pretty simple. That the early Catholic church and they did this a lot, took pagan practices, and and in the realm in which they ruled, they took the pagan practices of the people of those lands, and they often would lay a Christian veneer over top of that pagan practice in an attempt to bring light into darkness. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.